Lena Guan, you have interviewed some of South Korea's biggest stars, and we're going to talk about that. It's like a who's who of the entertainment scene that you've spoken to. But today, now it's your turn to be interviewed, so we're going to switch the tables. I want to start like from the beginning. So you're in the world of broadcast journalism. You're the you're the face. You're the voice of many different things over the years. How did you get into all of this? What was the what was the starting point or the jump off for you? I just want to say thank you, David, for having me. Um, this is mildly uncomfortable <laughs> to be interviewed. Yeah. It's an entirely different experience. I've always been on the polar opposite end of this, and and only in retrospect I'm realizing, my God, all those celebrities. I can understand why they were so nervous. It, it mm. feels like I have to have the right answer, and I might stumble through this. So <laughs> bear with me. Um, as for how I got into it, I, I do think it was really strategic. I knew I wanted to be in broadcasting. Um, I, I want to pursue journalism. Um, it, I didn't get a jump start at a newspaper or or a, a news station, but I knew that in South Korea, where I spoke Korean and English, I would have an advantage. And mm. so, you know, that whole saying, go where the job is, where they need you. So I came where they needed me, or so I thought. <laughs> and so it was easier for me to, I guess, convince the producers to be like, hey, you need me, not because I'm just a new face, but because I speak both languages. I love both languages. I want to understand both cultures better. So that's how I find myself in the middle of, you know, a really closely knit English broadcasting stations in Korea. Mm. So all the stations I've been exposed to, EBS, TBS, KBS, Arirang, uh, in no particular order, it, you know, they have a really close relationship. Once you're in, yeah. you're in, right? And, you know, you work up each other's energy and they, you know, make suggestions and they introduce you to other producers. So it happened pretty naturally for me. But long before I got my start on that entertainment show, I actually hosted um, another morning news magazine, this show called Morning Special on EBS. And honestly, I was so underqualified for the job. I was in my early 20s. It was it was frightening, but I learned a lot and I I don't think even knowing all that I had to go through, I wouldn't repeat it. It was it was fun and it was mm. a big growing experience for me. Anyway, that's how I got started. What did the producer say when you're like, you need me? What was the <laughs> because that's not the kind of react the 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 the, the attitude that I necessarily asso associate with like career. It's a bit more humble. Like, what was the general reaction to this attitude, Lena? I, I do think they thought it was refreshing. Um, mm, I, right. I know that humility is is a is a is a pretty big virtue, especially in South Korean society. And it's not to say that I, I'm this really arrogant person. In fact, you know, inside I'm dying a little bit saying that out loud. Like, yeah. it, it, you know, I think it, it's these two cultural identities, right? The American in me wants to be like, yes, this is what I can bring to the table, and then the Korean in me is like hold on, that doesn't flow well in Korean society. So I guess I tried to look for the right wording in that. You know, I, mm. I think I tried to be, again, I was in my early 20s. So I, I, I felt like I could get away with it. Like, sure. hey, like you need me. <laughs> they thought it was funny. <laughs> and, and look where it got you, it worked. That's the thing, right? Um, it. I asked this question respectfully, uh, just to get your opinion on it. Do you do journalism? So there's a difference, I think. Is there a difference between broadcast and journalism? Because sometimes we think of journalism like the anorak, the notepad and the scribes and things like that. So is there a difference in your mind? Do you do journalism? Is it broadcasting? 
Yeah, no, I, I I realized that in the last 10 years, it was more broadcasting. And a lot of times that meant playing the part, not necessarily doing the heavy amount of research and booking the interviews. It would be crazy for me to say that those two are the same thing. I mm. wanted to pursue journalism a little bit on a deeper level, and maybe that's my next chapter. But initially, I had to get my start somewhere. And these reporter positions kind of you know presented itself to me. And it felt like at Arirang, these entertainment shows were, you know, viable options they seemed fun and it seemed like that energy is something that I could easily mimic and I was like mm. again hey maybe we could mutually benefit off of each other <laughs> you use me I use you <laughs> absolutely not so much but I do think that distinction needs to be made um a lot of these interviews I landed with these celebrities it it's not as if I went out to you know uh land the interview and do all the convincing to get the celebrities on board these are all these connections and networks that the writers had you know created over their course of 10 20 years of career so they were the ones to land the interview and all I had to do was honestly present the questions in an appealing way and so it's a more acting let's less journalism <laughs> I really want to get into that issue of the the writers and the people behind the scenes because <laughs> you and I we see it all the time I think but a lot of people might not but before we get there, this nature of celebrity. So a lot of the work you've done is like, you know, you, you, you've spent time sitting next to these celebrities, talking to them, interacting with them. What do you think it means to be a star? And, and how does this play out? And I'm curious more about, is there something different in being a celebrity in Korea, the, the celebrities that you've seen, and in other parts of the world? Is it a global thing that this is a star and no matter where you go, there are stars, of course, but is there anything specific to the nature of celebrity or stardom that you've seen in South Korea? I do want to make that distinction that, you know, maybe compared to Hollywood, where we say that there is no such thing as bad publicity, there is such a thing as bad publicity in Korea. Sometimes it costs these actors and singers their entire careers. Um, on top of being good at their craft, I think we do expect in Korea largely for these celebrities to be stand-up citizens. I remember, you know, there were articles pouring out about, you know, certain high-profile actors being a good taxpayer. And I remember thinking that's, that's peculiar, right? Uh, mm. But I guess that's what you'd expect. And then I, I tied it together with these, you know, high profile tax evasion stories and how that was a big no-no. Um, a lot of these, you know, hosts in some cases, actors were blacklisted from the industry subsequently for evading taxes. And eventually they, they you know, make a comeback, but there is this, in some ways, pretty unrealistic expectations of celebrities, especially idol stars mm. to be, um morally and socially just and just great people and and the thing is of course we should celebrate human decency and good manners and, and being mm. stand-up citizens but should we expect celebrities to be this way all the time should we question whether that's an image-based thing um i think having 10 plus years in the industry i i lean more towards the latter that it's it's an image that we carefully craft, not we being me, but mm -hmm. you know, the entertainment industry as a whole, because a lot of investments go into creating a certain image for these celebrities, a lot of money. And what they want is for them to hold on to these um, uh, ads and, and, and things that make money for the company. And so, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a uniquely South Korean thing where we expect these celebs to be stand-up citizens <laughs> mm. 
And I, I mean, you're talking about tax and tax evasion and a good taxpayer, which is, you know, like that's what you're meant to do. I, my immediate right. thought um, went to this is a bit much, I, I don't know, I'm a bit embarrassed to say it to you, I guess, but like sex tapes, where in the West, that could make you an even bigger star. Pamela Anderson and Tommy Paris Hilton in career, it's it's just like, boom, you're, you're gone, you'd be out the industry for a long time. And yeah. we get this idea, you've mentioned it here, Lena, that the celebrities have to be model citizens, stand up and pure. And yet, you know, sometimes you see politicians and it's like, they're drug driving taxpayers. Where has that shift? Do you know why it's like that? It's like, surely we should switch that around. Like the politicians should be stand up and we should let the celebrities just do their thing. But it seems flipped, doesn't it? I think so. And I, I think that's one of the main criticisms, even those in Korea like to raise, that, you know, it, it should probably be these public figures who who make laws and, and amend laws and change laws should be measured by this, you know, social measuring stick, maybe even to live up to all those expectations, not celebrities. But mm. I guess, I mean, in trying to understand that whole argument, why should celebrities be this morally just, just perfect human beings from afar? Um, some fans have spoken up and said, you know, you thrive on fans' love and interest and you should repay that love by being kind, <laughs> tax-paying, law-abiding citizens. I don't agree with that, but there is this general, maybe even notion, uh, expectations maybe even for these celebrities to do so. I don't agree with it. I think, I think it's, again, a crafted image. And mm. if you just take a peek behind the scenes, that's just not the case, right? I mean, celebrities are just humans and they make mistakes and it should be okay for them to make mistakes. That doesn't really you know, harm anyone else but themselves. And sometimes those mistakes and that redemption story, that arc, that's part of why we like these people. I, after I finish this conversation, I'm going to go and check my taxes. I, I'm really paranoid now about this idea of, oh, my God, is it, is it all right? Um, you mentioned like when you first got into this industry, talking with the celebrities and in your early 20s, now in 2022, I wonder, is the nature of celebrity and stardom changing? Because now it's all social media. And I, I think sometimes, Lena, there's this weird paradox because with Insta and Twitter and TikTok, it seems like we're almost closer to the stars. Like we see them with their airport fashion. We can see these selfies at home and like we check the surroundings behind them. But then at the same time, it seems like they're also a bit further away because everything's curated and filtered through this. Do you think that, you know, how is social media affecting the role of celebrity in society, do you think? What do you think? I think it's making celebrities' lives more difficult. <laughs> I'm not in defense, you know, of them, and they probably don't meet, need me to defend them. But mm. again, it's it's about you know their parts of their private lives being showcased a certain way at, at a timing that benefits either whatever project they're next going to promote or. It's, you know, the, the, the timing of it all, right? Right before certain wedding bells, you, you, you hear about certain in exclusive interviews. That's not a coincidence. It's all carefully crafted so it happens. And social media is, I, I believe now, just a part of that equation. Um, the only difference being it's made to look more authentic. It's mm -hmm. made to look more organic. But there is, you and I both understand, nothing organic about airport fashion. Why would I wear heels to the airport? After, you know, I'm going to be on the airplane for 12 hours. I probably want to be in, I don't know, yoga pants and, and a hoodie and no makeup. And 
yet um, <laughs> that's what they have to show up in for the photo op. Uh, I do think the more mature audience understands that that's, that's also part of the image, but maybe it sells to, again, the younger audience who likes mm. to believe that that's part of a more authentic storytelling experience, um, whether that was designed to bring these celebrities closer emotionally to the fans or not, I wouldn't understand. But mm. maybe it's not geared towards someone like you and I. Maybe it's, it's geared towards a much, much, much younger audience. Much, 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 much younger audience. <laughs> do, you, um, do you think that you said that when the stories come out, when there's wedding bells and all of yeah. this, it's part of, let's say, a narrative or there, there's this construction. Are you are you pretty good at spotting that and seeing that? Because these days, like now I'm getting a bit older, I think when I read stuff, I'm like, that's an advert. It doesn't tell you it's an advert, but you, I'm reading something and I'm like, that's a that's a commissioned piece in the newspaper that's been paid. Are you getting better at like pulling behind the wizard's curtain or something when you see these stories, celebrities, you can see, well, that's real, that's genuine, that's promotion, that's part of an arc. Are you getting more insight into that, do you think? I'd like to believe so. Or are they just getting better? Are they getting craftier? I'm not quite sure. But I mean, I do think you, you, you understand better with more exposure to it. Um, mm. I guess I just generally question the timing of any entertainment gossip all the time. It's, it's just, I've maybe seen too much, heard too much from these entertainment reporters about how these stories are created, how it is a behind the scenes deal between certain agencies and certain news outlets, right? Mm. It's choreographed. And I do think um, audiences and readers and viewers are getting more smart. I, I think media literacy is a bigger part of our conversation now because we're just exposed to it more. So, you know, is that going to up the ante and up the game for these entertainment outlets? I have no idea, but I do think I got better. But maybe it was just exposure to it um, mm. or they're better at faking it. <laughs> do you do you ever I don't see any like heat magazines or gossip magazines on the shelf behind you. Do you ever like? do you ever read any? Yes, but this is a really old copy. And in my defense, it's a fashion magazine. So, okay. <laughs> so um, there's a market for it. It's not going away. People do still dig it. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, I think tabloids will always be part of the conversation. Uh, to what extent these stories are, are, are publicized, that's an entirely different story. Hollywood thrives on this, right? Paparazzi shots still sell for such massive prices that Sometimes it jeopardizes a celebrity or their family's um, health and, and well-being and things mm. like that. And so I think it's always been part of that celebrity uh, narrative. But uh, it's funny because I, I say like, oh, I'm above it. But but am I like, am I not also being reared in by all these clickbaits? Does it not strike my curiosity? I'm also human. And if the headline is really splashy, I'm like, Ooh, maybe there's something there. Um, I think the difference is, uh, are you feeding into it, and are are you are you being swayed by it? For example, there are all these real estate stories about celebrity A buying a really expensive plot of land, celebrity mm. B selling an apartment in this lavish neighborhood to buy another extravagant one. Like all these stories are so sensational, and my honest opinion is who cares? Like you didn't know that these celebrities make a, a lot of money. Um, but, you know, it's a clickbait and it, it gets my attention and mm. I know how the industry works, yet it still gets my attention. What does that say about human psyche? <laughs> 
No, no, absolutely. And we are human. We're all part of it. And, you know, we, we either make it, we contribute to it. I saw this really, I don't know if I say say this. Um, I saw this comment about me because obviously I write a, a column every week and do many other things. Somebody wrote this thing that said, every week for the last two years, I've clicked on this guy's articles because of the headline. And then when I open it and see his face and see it's him, then I give up. But they were like, he writes really good headlines. So I've got this idea, Lena, that, that I could write the headlines that make people click, but maybe, <laughs> maybe not the content just yet. That, that's crazy, David. Your contents are, are persuasive and interesting, always so engaging. So I don't know who this guy is, but he clearly didn't read your articles. Might have been a girl. Um, <laughs> when I looked at, um, when I was doing research for this interview, Lena, and to talk to you, I looked at your thing on Ari Ranga. This is like this host introduction, and we all have to do them. You know, who are you? And who's worked in entertainment for 10 years and did this. We have these kind of like mini resumes. <laughs> on your one, it says, blah, blah, blah. And, and you're talking about this conceptual art, but I can't believe yourself into it. Like, did you have any trouble getting past that, that past the the writers or producers that your introduction is just going to say, blah, 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 I don't want to play this <laughs> game. And doesn't it feel kind of weird that although you're front and center of the media, you're kind of like decrying it in your own presentation of yourself? No, because I I think humor is how you keep people's interests. Then we'd be crazy to not see through what media has become in the 21st century. It's it's mm. too much. And um, working in the industry has only highlighted the fact that it's too much. There's just too much news being poured out every day. And is that good for us? I don't think so. And I do believe that to a certain extent, you need to take a break from all these overwhelming amount of information to process what you've read, to, to understand, to reflect. And all of this, it makes it difficult where media is just being pushed in your face. And I know it's counterintuitive for me to write that. And it did take a lot of convincing. Um, I did a whole pitch on it, why this mm. was important and why that was such a big part of my identity. And I wrote the, even the Korean version of that. I was like, look, I'll, I'll make it sound better in Korean too. It would be a little bit more PC. <laughs> <laughs> it did take a lot of convincing, but I am critical of the industry I work in. And I encourage my viewers and listeners to do the same, to not trust everything people say, to always question your sources and what their personal agendas may be because we're only human. We're not AIs after all, right? How we put a spin on a certain story, the angle in which we view these stories from is all driven by our personal interests and narratives as well. And we'd be crazy to ignore that. And so from time to time, I like to remind my viewers and listeners, hey, like do your own research too. And if you wanna call me out on it, please do so. So we can have an interesting conversation because I also think what we've grown really bad at, and we've talked about this on my show too, right? That we're really good at finding people that reinstate our own beliefs, but to have a conversation who, with someone who you find disagreeable, in some cases, someone that you find even despicable and, and disgusting, it, it's, it's tough, right? To sit in a room, even in cyberspace and to say, <laughs> hey, here's my perspective and remain cordial. And I think that's such an important part of society, what we may need more of, then maybe the politicians will listen to us. <laughs> Do you, no, I agree with you completely. And what's interesting, Lena, is that, you know, having worked with you a bit, I've actually heard you say those things on air to your listeners, like, you know, hey, and don't just trust us, which is an interesting thing, because you're telling the listeners, 
despite being in like this position of authority and presentation of the news and giving it, you, you, you're still telling them, do your own research and be critical of sources. And do you think that's becoming more common? Are you unique in doing that? Because I know, for example, that you're not just saying it, but you actually do that in reality. And in my experiences, which is less than yours in the industry, I don't hear as much of that. So how is that being received? Do you think other people are starting to do it? Or is it a little bit of uh, your individuality alone? I can't speak for anyone else, honestly. And I don't expect my coworkers to take the same route. I don't know if this is the right approach. Um, and if I were you know, hosting my own TV show, I don't think I could be saying all that I'm saying on my radio show. It's talk radio. I get a little bit more leeway in that sense. We designed the program around you know, this. So it made it easier for me to say all these things and, you know, give out disclaimers that sound like I make the show sound obsolete and, and, and pointless. But on, on TV there, I just, I was restricted and bound by so many rules. And so I couldn't say any of that. In fact, mm. you know, I, I was just kind of a talking head, you know, they gave me a script and all I had to do was read through it, maybe correct the grammar. And I found that to be not just disheartening, but so boring that I decided, you know, when they gave me this opportunity to host my own radio show, it, it did take a lot of convincing, like, hey, you know, I will be gentle and I'll be, I'll be sure to say that, you know, there are all these different varying opinions, but my point and, and my reminder to my viewers is, hey, like, do your own research, <laughs> question me. <laughs> do you think if you'd spent, no, it's brilliant and, I'm, I'm pretty much similar because I won't do things if I have to say what other people want me to say. Like if I can't give my own opinion or speak for myself based on research, I, I don't just want to go up and cause trouble. But if things are being given to me to say, be said, I, I won't do it. And I, I've refused quite a few things on those grounds. If you imagine that you kept doing the TV talking head where you're given the script and you say these things and now you're doing one where you have more leeway. Is it just related to boredom and how interested you would be? Or do you think it actually affects who you're becoming as a person? Like, because you're allowed to speak honestly, is it having like personality and psychological effects on Lena as a person? Or is it just a job and it's boredom or not boring? I think it's a ladder. And I identify a great deal with the work that I present. That is, you know, who I am. And, and you know, I know you have this is as part of your questionnaire. The biggest reason why I stepped away from social media about three years ago and I stopped posting is because my personal life had gone up in flames. You know, people in, in my family who are closest to me had passed away um, rather suddenly. And there was this big gap between, you know, my professional life and my personal life. And I didn't want to talk about my personal life in such details. I wasn't ready for that. And even now I'm not ready to share all the darkest and, and deepest parts of my life with, you know, everyone out there. Right. And, and so when I realized that there was this big gap between maybe my persona on air and who I am in, in my private life, I decided, oh, it felt like I was almost deceiving people when, you know, I was posting these things about going to these really great fashion shows, being invited to exclusive events. And suddenly it felt not to say that these are frivolous. These are important events where, you know, lots of money and lots of people, you know, put in their creative uh, efforts to make, you know, perfect. Uh, but at, at that point in my life, I realized I, I didn't like that big discrepancy between who I was and 
the public eye. I say that so carefully because I'm not mm. a celebrity by any means and I'm not pursuing that. Um, but I didn't like that one bit. So I had to step away. And, and so I do think who I am on air shapes who I am tomorrow. So it is a really big part of my identity and mm. who I want to be tomorrow. Hopefully a curious, a better or more well-rounded person that's what we all aim for i think or many of us when you stepped away from social media because yeah i i, I did go and see your social media and fancy events and, and, and superstars and fashion and pharrell williams and britney Spears, all this kind of stuff when you did step away three years ago and then it's vroom, what did like people around how what was the reaction to that did they worry about you did they encourage you to keep going did they support mm -hmm. you was it an easy decision because we're so used to seeing people online like those regular i'll see one post a week from that person two from that one when you stepped away what was the reaction to that i think colleagues and friends closest to me knew exactly what was happening in my personal life you know, they came to the funerals they knew you know i was going through something really tough so they knew how to level with me they knew why i would want to step away from social mm -hmm. media as for you know some you know people i keep a relationship with just on social media of course they asked where are you what are you doing we miss you and i thought that was incredibly sweet and i just told them this kind of blanket answer like i'm just taking a break from social media i'm still here you know i'm still lurking I'm still curious about what people are up to. I, I'm just, you know, not in a headspace where I want to share every detail of my life, not even the, you know, the wonderful parts. Mm -hmm. And I do think I, I, I paid a great deal of effort in trying to curate this flow on my social media to look aesthetically pleasing. That was such mm -hmm. an important part for me, right? Um, and even today, that's, that's, I feel like, you know, Instagram is the only social media page that I really had a presence in. And that, was a big part of it, right? Image and how beautiful it is. And I understand that certain influencers and certain celebrities talk about more difficult parts of their lives, right? Some people talk mm. about mental disorders and anxiety issues and I, not everyone can do that. I, I realized quickly that I can't do that. It, it makes me so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. and, and so all the respect to those who are brave enough to put that story, put those personal stories out there. I think I just realized, ooh, I, I don't think I, I am strong enough or brave enough to talk about that. <laughs> do, do you think, there's no pressure on this, but I'm just curious, do you think it's something you might go back to? It's like in a year or so, you're gonna post this like teaser, the, the comeback or something like this, this aesthetically <laughs> pleasing thing on Insta or are you kind of like happy where you are with it now? The, the, the lurking, the stalking and keeping your private and personal separate? Um, for the time being, I think I'm good with a fair amount of distance, but eventually I did, you know, I mean, I'm still in broadcasting, right? I still have a live show to go to. And I do think I owe it to my listeners and, 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 and just a few of my followers to share, hey, like this part of my life is really excellent. It's actually mostly been, you know, these posts that disappear in 24 hours of my dog. And I, I feel like that gets a pleasant response too. And that's a safe territory for me. <laughs> that's easy. <laughs> Your poor dog, your dog's thinking like, just do you, me again, me, really? Like, come on. No, I need your dog. I do think he hates it. <laughs> wow, that's, that's all right. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, social media is the thing like that. But I, I think it's good for mental health in general to step away. We're, we're always on it and it, it's good to do that. Before we, I want to get to your dog later, Lena. 
But before we, <laughs> I do, before we get there, I just want to keep on this industry uh, that, that yeah. you're working in. Now, I've noticed just in my brief experiences in the last four or five, maybe longer years that there's such a difference between be it like in front of the camera, behind the camera, in the studio, listening, because I spent the first five, 10 years listening to all this stuff while I'm driving and just trying to stay up to date with news in career and soul. And then being on the other side, you know, I would, I would finally see, wow, the TV studio looks really kind of dusty. And you can see that the weather girls have actually got clips on the back of their dresses to hold it in tight like this and on the TV. They just, Vroom. so I started seeing all of these things uh, and it was very interesting. I, I guess in this sense, what I'm asking, what have you noticed working inside the industry and is it changing over time? And are there any insights you can give to people that spend most of their time on the other side of the speaker or the other side of the camera that don't get those views that we've perhaps had or you've had? I think one thing I do want to point out is that there's nothing glamorous about TV <laughs> or radio. Um, I remember maybe a few years back, there was this little, maybe even meme or, or, or what it, I, I can't, I don't even know what the right word for it is anymore, what the trendy word is, mm. but it was, it would say like, you know, the job you have, like, you know, broadcast journalist and what you think your mom, what your mom thinks you do, what you really do and what people think you do. And the mm. images are so different, right? Yeah. And so um, you're right. These TV studios are dusty and gross. There is not a good ventilation system. And uh, during particularly dusty seasons, it's disgusting. And it's, it's hard for you to breathe through a, a two hour show or three hour show. I used to do my uh, pre-recordings like for six hours straight. And after three hours, it was, it was suffocating literally. And we would have to take a break just so we can drink water and get mm. a, the fresh air. We were in the basement of this company and there's <laughs> nothing glamorous no. about that. It looks pretty because we're all dolled up and we're, we're, you know, we're put in clothes that's flattering and then clipped in the back to ensure that, you know, it's, it looks like it's the right fit. There's nothing comfortable and fun about that. So it's less glam. It's, it's a lot of just hard work and powering through these difficult scenarios. It's particularly cold during the winter seasons and it's particularly hot during mm. the summer seasons. And it's everything you hear is true. Um, so I guess I, I didn't want to throw that out there because I, I did have, you know, you know, interns who came and went, you know, these really young, like aspirational reporters coming in, expecting a certain level of glam treatment. And when that wasn't met, they would be wildly disappointed. And it kind of broke my heart because I thought, no, like, you know, I can just see it through. There is fun. There is something to be learned. There, the experience is is worth something. But, you know, I think they were thrown off by their own expectations of what it is and there's nothing glamorous about for me right now, waking up at 4.30 for my producer, it's 3.30. Is that glam? <laughs> no. Before you get in, we get, we get into the 4.30 because that still blows my mind. And I want to ask, I think, have you ever considered just doing a night show or something? I mean, like 4.30. Um, it, it, tomorrow I'm in the TV studio and I, I worry because they put makeup on your face, Lena. And then for the rest, and, and then I have to go do lectures somewhere else. And the rest of the day, like, I'm not used to makeup and masks and hot weather. And it's weird. And it's just from here. And there's like this whole kind of toad. Do you have any like observations of what it's like to be sat in the chair and getting your your hair done and your makeup before you used to do the TV? Because it's a weird thing, isn't it? 
I think after a while you grow accustomed to it and maybe you know you feel naked without that proper treat the whole <laughs> excuse me <laughs> can it's you <laughs> <laughs> no it's live I'll drink water to make sure it stays in all right oh my okay so what were we talking about? All right, sitting in the chair and getting your hair and makeup done. Honestly, I used to pack myself, uh, you know, these makeup wipes. So after recording, I would remove most of the makeup. In fact, <laughs> most of my co-hosts that were actually most frequently male, uh, Brian Jew, Austin, Kang, like they would all bring their own makeup wipes and, and they would just take it off as soon as the recording was over because they knew going to the gym or, you know, in your case, going to lectures, none of that is natural, is it? And people will be asking you most uncomfortable set of questions and that's, <laughs> you'd rather avoid it. Just wipe it off. Yeah. I think that's just the point I was trying to make about it not being natural. Because on the TV and on the screens, it looks, I don't know why it's got that pentac pentac or it's bright, it works, but in real life, it looks very different, doesn't it? Very artificial, isn't it? I mean, no one should have fake eyelashes this long and it's it's i think in a tv studio setting for example the the lighting that they have is is, is so powerful and so strong that if you don't have a certain amount of makeup on it does make you look a little bit more washed out so mm. it is that very unnatural setting that requires even our interviewees you know it, they don't have to be celebrities for them to you know have their eyebrows drawn in and things like that none of that is i suppose a natural conversation it's funny because it makes them most uncomfortable and you want to talk about a, a nervous interviewee that's not a good place to start yet it's what the industry requires you <laughs> yeah i have to get my eyebrows taken out mine grow too much it's, it's the opposite <laughs> Let, just on this one before we move on to the 430 thing the camera puts on 10 pounds true or false true Absolutely true. And is that something that we could avoid? I'd hope so. But for some reason, camera lenses after all this evolution, um, <laughs> for some reason, can't take care of that. And the problem with that is if you're okay with looking just a little bit bigger than your original self, then it's okay. But I think most people, when they see their on screen, facial structure or, or their physique, they would want to look their personal best. And so honestly, I, I don't think, you know, beauty is the only thing that's important in a TV radio, especially radio setting, I suppose. <laughs> but but um, I, I did put a great deal of effort in, in looking the part while I was doing more TV. Um, I was, I guess I can share, uh, eight kilograms thinner and that's actually most unnatural if you ask me but um it's it's something i felt like i had to do i was you know paid to look a certain part mm. that's partially self-imposed no one told me to lose weight that would be an entirely different question uh, uh conversation but it just it just felt like something i had to do and it didn't help that you know i had to sit across from these celebrities who look their part all the time right and so i i thought maybe that's something that i had to mirror something that i want to do for myself so i could feel confident and look my best and everything else would just fall into place <laughs> 
I know what you mean by being around those people. It, it suddenly yeah. makes you question your own appearance and things like that. Yeah. And I mean, if we can put men on the moon, uh, people on the moon, and we can have smartphones, why can we not have cameras that don't put on 10 pounds? Because then you wouldn't have need to be eight kilos leg. You could just be the same. And it wouldn't exactly matter. Same. And no one, no one would even question right. <laughs> my appearance anymore. I don't know. You know, I, I've been told that, you know, the camera has one lens. We have two set of eyes and the way we view things, it, that, that makes a difference apparently. So that one lens angle apparently makes you look a little bit wider. Why we can't perfect a technology, I have no idea. I, I didn't even know that. I'm learning something. This is great. Wipes and two lens cameras and then we're good to go. Um. At the moment, Lena, like here in in Seoul, South Korea, you, you're up at four thirty, like every morning. So there you are. You, you're doing the broadcasting, but this is one of those jobs where you can't really just phone in sick, wear sunglasses, or you know, you you have to be there as a face, as a presence, and as this positivity. Surely, it, like, gets tough doing that every day, or or do you find it easy? It's just your thing, and you love your job, or what's your secret? How do you do it? I think majority of times it is a ladder. I do love my job. I do enjoy, you know, having conversation with someone like you, David. In fact, having you on the show has inspired me so much that I actually look forward to going in more than I did prior to having you on the show. I'm not just saying that because I'm on Korea Deconstructed. Um, no, no, really. It's I, I like people who challenge my beliefs. I like people who who want to have these engaging conversations and these deeper uh, more well-researched conversation topics. And you're one of the few who are able to challenge my own ideas. In fact, there was a moment, even with my own radio show, where I felt like I had plateaued. It was it was mm -hmm. growing a little bit you know, stale. And if you do something every day, unfortunately, that's part of it, right? You, you, you think maybe there isn't more you can do to learn and grow. And that's the worst place to be, I think, as a broadcaster, where you feel like you've plateaued and there's nothing new anymore for you. And then you meet someone who is a breath of fresh air and it, it it takes you to that mindset again where you're excited to go back into work. So right now, definitely, I, I am I'm thrilled to be at work, not necessarily thrilled to wake up at 4.30 in the morning because I do think I am a better speaker in the evening. I think I'm more coherent in the mm. afternoons. I most certainly feel better after having breakfast and lunch. Yet this was a job that you know presented itself to me, so I had to take it. I'd be crazy not to. And um, for the most part, I love it. But there are bad days where I, I just wake up thinking, God, I feel awful and I'd rather not go into a live studio and work up this energy and get everybody on the same level. And I think 10 years in now, I tell myself to be just kinder to myself. Like, don't be so hard on yourself. Like everyone has good days and bad days and it's okay to have one rough day, um, you, you just kind of fake it then, you know, you, you, you try to bring yourself up to that same energy level. And if you, if it's not a hundred percent every day, if it's a 95 or a 90, that's okay. And I'm a little bit more gracious when it comes to that, because I do think in my twenties, I was so hard on myself. Like, Lena, you, you're, you're so like ungrateful. And, and, and that seemed to be a little bit self-destructive and not sustainable. So I've stepped away from that and I tell myself, it's okay to have a bad day. You'll do mm. better tomorrow. <laughs> weird and as well weirdly sometimes the days that you feel bad you you perform well and sometimes the days that you feel great the performance isn't quite there it's 
that kind of goes maybe lena you should start a podcast then you can do it any time of the day you want you can set it in the <laughs> evening you don't have to be up at 4 30. you can do that um but i do agree it has been very interesting uh, working with you because you do real conversations and, and you're addressing these and it is very easy in media just to say nothing just to do empty conversations and what i've noticed working with your team that you have around you uh, at the moment is that not only are they sort of open to most of the topics of discussion that i've presented and i'm sure many of the other guests have done it's also sort of very female driven team from my observation i don't know if that's uh, uh, an observation that you would agree with but has this all been a conscious decision not just to put a program but to put the team that you've constructed around you in terms of identity and topics you want to uh like take on and address was this a conscious decision did it just fall into place or uh, what is this team lena honestly i do think it fell into place and i got really lucky it took a lot of trial and error to get to where we are today honestly um we i think most frequently had a definitely more male centric uh, program and the host was a woman even prior to me taking on the post but you know if it's driven by largely a male producer who seems to have a more authoritative stance then it is largely driven by the producer but i was really lucky to meet not just a female producer but someone who's so open to having these conversations and discussions about our conversation topics each day in and day out not every producer wants to put in that hard work not every producer not every writer wants to do heavy lifting with the host and share the vision but I got really lucky but honestly David it took me 12 years to get to this team and it was not always this way there were points in my career where I thought you know I, I <laughs> like as a woman I was getting the shorter end of the stick you know there there were jobs that I, I took on and only in retrospect realized my male co-host counterpart was getting paid significantly more than I was just because he was a male host. And that sounds so archaic and outdated mm. and there are questions to be raised, but it was an entire system that was broken. So there was only so much I can do to change that. And I think, you know, the wise thing to do is not to pick a fight when there is little difference you can make. And I know that not everyone would agree with me. In fact, I've had, you know, past colleagues who filed a lawsuit against the companies that I work for. And, and everyone is inclined to make their own decisions, what, what they believe to be is right and mm. I just want to be able to stick around long enough I, I don't intend to do this short term I want to be here 10 20 30 years from now maybe a different post preferably the evening mm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my point being I want to do this for the long haul and when I can make a, a significant difference I want to see it at the table and so that's just a decision I've made for myself um uh, maybe I digress a little bit in answering your question, but as for my morning team, I just think I got really lucky. <laughs> mm. When you mentioned sort of these pay differences that you described as archaic, like this kind of gender wage gap, was were the differences or the the, the rough treatment that you faced, or the the let's say unequal treatment, yeah. was it was it purely financial? Was there anything else going on? Because mm. I, it, it's hard for me to understand, so I'm just trying to you know. Mm. learn better but was it purely mm. fi financial or was there different things taking place i think 
I don't want to say a certain station is a certain way because I do think it was that particular team. It was a particular producer who had very little guts or, or power to say things that must be said in, in order to renegotiate the terms of each host and reporter's contracts. Um, I do think he he had such little... I don't want to say power, but maybe even the strength or the courage to walk up to his superior and say, hey, this discrepancy is not right. He just didn't have the tact for it or the knowledge or maybe even reasons for him to fight those battles for me. But mm. I quickly put those pieces together and realized it was not a personal thing. He he was just really that incompetent. Mm. And I don't use that lightly. And I just I think that's where that comes from, that specific story. Um, for particular male hosts who had a little bit more celebrity, um, they had more exposure, more fans. Uh, I guess the big argument was, Lena, you're a nobody. <laughs> Your co-host is a somebody. And I really can't argue against that. I don't think I seek, I seek celebrity. I don't think I was you know, looking to become famous. I, if I did, I should probably have a bigger social media presence. <laughs> Your dog's there, don't worry. He's doing all right. Um, but um, so I do think maybe case by case it's different and I, it was just my personality to not necessarily be okay with it. I was furious at the time and I was, you know, running in Hangang and screaming into <laughs> the water, in the direction of the water. And I, I probably looked insane, but I also did realize a wiser decision to make was to just see it through and see what's next for me instead of picking a fight where I knew I could make no difference. I saw a, a little bit of Rue de la Blues, our blues, the drama, and there was Shin Minar just swearing at the water. It was really, really cute. I shouldn't say Shin. Yeah, yeah, she was cute swearing at the water. Um, in When I go to these various programs, um, I noticed that I, I work with a lot of women, not just on yours, but on other stations. There's a lot of uh, women writers. There's a lot of women uh, PDs and things like this. So from from my experience, it seems like things are changing. And I, I, I see women in positions of power in my limited experience of the media industry here in South Korea. Do you see so? from my limited view it seems kind of positive to me but again I, I only have that what's your take on it are things getting better is there sort of more representation for this women in society in this media they have the opportunities to rise up get a seat at the table like you said or or is it still difficult what's the reality of it like lena you know i'm not married yet and i don't have children yet and i think that's where things get really unfair and tricky for women who want to also thrive in their respective careers um it's just the logistics of it i mean we're talking about you know being able to be a good mom which is something that i would want to be if i have children in the future and to you know still be a hundred percent at your job when you have a newborn baby at home to feed to take care of to be present for at all times and so those i don't think these conditions are getting better at at, at least quickly enough right mm -hmm. um because I do think it does come down to those really difficult questions. How do we ensure that women have the at least the same kind of opportunities that men do 10, 20, 30 years into their careers, right? To help them balance uh, these duties that are still largely in Korean society, I think, put on women more than men. We're slowly changing. 
it's becoming more of a collaborative effort. You know, both of the parents are working, then they should probably share the burden of raising a kid. But mm. the reality is that it's happening, I think, at snail speed. It's, it's just so slow. And, you know, I, I do think, you know, some of these newlyweds have to strategize and say, hey, our careers are just too important let's put off having a baby. And this is happening, I think, throughout South Korean society, we talk about declining birth rates and the fundamentals of it. If, if these newlyweds felt like they could support their kids and also have their careers and, and have that balanced life, they would have the kids. But, mm. you know, that's just, it's just so far removed from the truth and reality of how costly it is and how difficult it is to have a thriving career and, and a thriving family life. Anyway, ask for, are we sort of breaking through that glass ceiling? Mm. Maybe a little bit more than before, but isn't that how progress works? We should be doing better than our parents' generation and our kids' generation should be probably better than mine. And mm. that's what I mean by I still want to see that the table <laughs> to ensure that if given the opportunity, I can make a teeny tiny dent. Mm. Yeah, I think that's why representation is important because if you have a seat at the table, you bring up those conversations and you talk about the the logistics involved of childbirth, maternity leave, coming back to work and, and, and how all that plays out. I was uh, speaking to a psychologist who's going to be my next guest, uh, speaking to her. Um, we're trying to arrange the schedule and she said, David, I have two young girls, so I can't do it at any of these. And I was like, I, I totally respect them. We managed to work it out, but I saw the reality and it was really interesting how you know sort of honest and upfront she was about the logistics of this thing and how it has to revolve around childcare times and school and everything like that yeah. in in the media industry the korean media industry if you could sort of you know do this thanos snap and you could change one thing like the room for improvement is it related to that is it something else but you, you spend your life in there that's what you're doing you're in for the long term is there something that you thought, oh, if only this was more common, if only it was done like that? Is there anything going on that you would sort of look to change? Oh, man, this is a tough question. And honestly, I don't think I have just the fact that nothing immediately comes to mind. It tells me there are a host of little changes that needs mm. to be made in order for us to iron out the inefficiencies. I mean, we talk about, you know, broadcasting stations and the programs that we create being a collaborative work, you know, it's supposed to be producer, writer, host, reporters, all kind of on a leveled playing field, having <laughs> the same amount of maybe leverage in one of those meetings talking about these topics, but that's just not the truth. You know, a lot of producers that are full-time or writers who have a full-time position or have the years of experience would have more pull and they would have more leverage and it would be a whole power trip thing and it drives me crazy because it's so inefficient mm. one of the more heartbreaking because I, I specifically worked in you know english broadcasting stations it's such a tiny part of broadcasting i can't speak for all the korean broadcasting stations i just want to clear that um I, I do think one of the biggest inefficiencies is in some cases, producers don't speak English at all. The hosts only speak English. How do we meet somewhere in the middle is such a tough 
thing I think for me regularly it's mm. about convincing someone who grew up largely in Korea exposed to how Korean broadcasting stations worked and frankly it's still very hierarchical and then there are these you know hosts that come from all these different walks of life exposed to different cultures different countries in some cases they speak multiple languages they're exposed to multiple cultures and all they want to do is make the show better and mm. that intent is lost because they come from such different cultures. And uh, I always try to put myself somewhere in the middle. I'm lucky in that sense. I can understand both. And I try to say, hey, Vicky doesn't mean that. Hey, she doesn't mean that. <laughs> but it is one of the biggest inefficiencies of working at these English broadcasting stations. And we're trying to do something great. I think the objective mm. is clear, but how we get there is so different. Some of those uh, particular stations, well, Arirang is really good for my Korean because I only have to, I, I just speak with, with the producers and the writers, the, uh, especially on some shows, it's just all Korean. It was like, I've been working with this producer there for like three or four weeks, every conversation in Korean. And then after four weeks, he just said something to me in perfect English. And I went, oh, mate, <laughs> like, you, I, I struggle through it. I'm fine with it. And I like doing it. But after four weeks, he was like, so, so what kind of music do you like, David? I was like, oh, man, you did four weeks. You've been listening to my Selegi Munbop and then bang, you just give me that. <laughs> um, but I know what you mean, like that, that language, that communication yeah. and, and bringing these things together. Do you think I want to get onto celebrities, but you just mentioned this kind of English uh, communication broadcast industry in South Korea. Do you think it has a good rep in society? Because I must admit, before I started doing it, I would sometimes have like TBS EFM on the radio when I'm driving through. I would sometimes listen to the stuff. That's um, my competitor, David. <laughs> this is a podcast. We can say like brand names like Samsung, McDonald's. We can even say shit. Doesn't matter. It's a podcast. Um, but what kind of... Sorry for swearing at you, Lena. Um, what kind of reputation do you think this industry has in South Korea? Do you have any like perception of that when you tell people this is what you do, this is where you work? Do people go like, ah, or, or ah, what's the reaction? <laughs> I think, you know, you know, my colleagues at Arirang, we like to joke around about this because I think the amount of, uh, well, I, I suppose it's it's natural with any job. There are lots of obstacles to power through, including but not limited to that communication difficulties with our coworkers. Um, but from afar, I, I found it to be really surprising that if I go to you know host some of these major events, and uh, you know I, I don't necessarily mean to name drop, but it's my current association. I host a certain show at a certain station, so I'll say yeah, I I, I host a news magazine show on Nine Radio. And the perception is usually really positive. And I find that to be really interesting because mm. in some cases, you know, these event uh, hosts, they don't necessarily speak English. Um, it's not as if they tune in regularly to TBS or Arirang or EBS, yet they have this really positive perception. And I can't put together why that is. Maybe there is, 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 a, is a facade from afar. <laughs> Everything looks great from afar, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do think, and, and there is a little bit of, oh, wow, your English and your Korean is so good. There is something a little bit still captivating about that in Korean society with increasing amount of people more fluent in multiple languages, but there is still kind of this allure of, wow, you speak these both languages so beautifully. And I, I you know, I, I, it's flattering and maybe that's what they're trying to do. Maybe feel comfortable by flattering me. <laughs> 
I'm I'm slowly just trying to imagine now you speaking because all my interactions with you have been in English thus far, and I've I've noticed with some people that even their voice changes. Like I, I lived and worked at a, a women's university for so long, and one of my Korean teachers said to me, "David, you speak Korean like a woman," and it's because <laughs> all day I was hearing like women speak Korean around me, and I, I'd naturally picked up a lot of those, and so. Sometimes I think people's voices change a little bit uh, in two languages. Lena, let's get into stardom. And there's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because you, you've you spoken and you've, you've been around so many of these celebrities. And we'll speak about some specifically, but has there ever been a celebrity that you've met that you've been like, oh my God, I'm meeting this person. Like, what am I gonna, you've had like the butterflies, the nerves before you're gonna see this person. Has that ever occurred to you? Have you always been just totally like, bang, let's go, this is work? No, remember I told you when I got started, I was, you know, early to my mid twenties. And right. I think initially I was a little bit more starstruck and because I was starstruck, absolutely nervous. But certain celebrities were, you know, so big when I was growing up, I, I lived in Korea for a few years during elementary school. And back then, SES was such a big deal. This was like the original K-pop girl group, the early 2000s. And when I had to sit down with Pada, who is you know one of the, mm -hmm. the main members of SES, I was a little starstruck. Like, my God, you were kind of my idol when I was growing up. And so to sit down with her was nerve wracking, but she was really sweet and easygoing. So that interview was a breeze. And then I think another actor that <laughs> made me incredibly nervous was Lee Byung Han. He he's so charismatic and 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 such a wonderful actor. And mm -hmm. I was nervous for just because I was a dedicated fan and he also was very charming and kind and you'd be surprised how wonderful they are with five cameras pointing at them. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I do think they're really pleasant people. Most celebrities are. Mm. And I, I found to, this might just be my generalization, but with actors who have more to lose, with singers who have more to lose, as in their pristine reputation, they're a little bit, uh, more aware of that, that they have so much to lose, that they go out of their ways to be more cordial and more charming and more kind. And mm. that became really quickly apparent to me in a lot of these interviews, but uh, I still do get nervous. I, I get nervous all the time. And it, it doesn't even take a celebrity to make me a little bit starstruck and having me stumbling through my sentences. Um, <laughs> even my morning shows make me nervous. <laughs> morning will do that to anyone, I think. <laughs> Um, how, how, how handsome is Lee Byung-un in real life? I have to ask you, come on, like, because on the, t he's a fabulous actor. I, I like so yeah. much of what he's done and he seems to exude star power. Actually, when, when I, when I look at him, he just seems to, you, in our blues, you know, he plays the very opposite of a star in this new drama, but he, he just seems to like, that's the only thing he could do. You couldn't imagine him as an accountant. Like nobody would get any work done. Is he, is he that handsome in real life or is it just like, what's... They're all really handsome in real life. <laughs> They're all really handsome. And I think it is also part of their jobs to know exactly how to work those angles, to work those charms, the way he, they, you know, gaze into your eyes, like it's, 
it's it's a lot and i'm not just talking about Yi byung han it's it's everyone um mm. all of the incredibly successful actors with presence and star power they seem to know exactly what to do to work the room they have a presence when they walk in they say there's a glow around them and i think that's years of dedication to that craft you know they know how to walk they know how to carry themselves they know that you know their left or right face looks better on camera and they know how to sit properly it's 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 the whole art of you know celebrity and it's incredible because you should see my posture throughout that two-hour interview i start you know sitting up upright and then mm. all my years of pilates training goes out the window comes I'm, I'm too just too tired and i'm slouching and i really just don't care how i look anymore and then there are these celebrities who are in proper form from beginning to end and it's amazing and it's mm. not even just about their facial structure how attractive they are it's it's everything the whole package it's kind of mind blowing and Ivan definitely had that he knew how to work the camera he knew how to read the room he worked off of everyone's energy a producer would drop something he would see it right away and pick it up like you know these are things i think that come second nature to him and it's mm. it's kind of almost beautiful and graceful to watch yeah, that's that's very cool. And I guess if you're always seeing yourself, you're going to be critical. You're going to know, oh, that doesn't look good when I do that. And it's that kind of it's self-reflection. You're always getting that idea. Oh, I did that. That doesn't look right. Change that. You, you talk about posture. I did one interview with God bless Kang Minsu, like Minsu. And we spoke for a couple of hours, but like throughout the interview later, he was doing this. His posture was just going and he would disappear off the screen for a while and then sit himself back up and he would go again and go back up. He was just trying to get comfortable, I think, bless him. <laughs> um, when sometimes you say they're all beautiful, they're all handsome. Yeah. Have there any be, has, has there ever been like some public figures that you've met and they completely subverted your expectations? So, you know, they seem like these huge celebrities, but when you met them, they were just down to earth people or you thought this person would be, you know, like really kind of tough or Sang Namja, but when you meet them, they're more effeminate or has anybody really subverted your expectations in that way, do you think? I think the interviews that were booked while I was on that show, it was carefully choreographed to look a certain way. So I don't think it was beyond anything I've expected or what maybe we've even designed. It was to promote a certain kind of image. And I knew that I had to play a part to, in some cases, to make someone look macho, to make someone look more feminine or to make someone look stronger or more stern in this, this lawyer role they were playing for a new upcoming TV drama. You know, these are all part of something that we agree on upon long before the interview even takes place. And I have little control over that narrative. I, again, I, like I told you, I, I just have to play a part. Mm. Um, but off <laughs> camera, mm. you'd be surprised to notice that most celebrities are just, they're just like us. <laughs> Um, most of them are actually incredibly down to earth. They want, uh, they want to grab coffee. They want to know how to become more fluent English speakers. Cause as you see them in my interviews, it's most uncomfortable. I see that I set them down and mm. I conduct the interview in Korean, but my opening is this, this 
this rap of English verses. And you can only imagine how uncomfortable it makes them when that's you know not the language that they primarily speak in. And of course, naturally after the interview, their question is, why do you speak English so fluently? How do I better my speaking skills? And it's, it's just, you know, fun and lighthearted. And, you know, our interview spots are always so different. And we mm. talk about you know, good food spots, good coffee spots. And it's, it's surprisingly mundane <laughs> off, off camera, you know, what they do, what they want to do. And, and so in that sense, I suppose nothing was out of the ordinary or out of expected, but I, I do want to say, but because this interview has been subsequently taken down, there was this one actor who had a pretty terrible reputation for sexually harassing, not just, you know, his coworkers, but just about everyone he came across that was women. And his reputation was so notorious that, you know, my makeup artist and, and my producers were like, you know, you need to be aware that this is the kind of guy he is. Cause I had no idea. I, I, mm. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know what his reputation was. You know, I'm not an actor, so I don't work in his industry, but you know, everything I heard about him turned out to be true. And, you know, during the interview, I felt most uncomfortable, you know, he was staring at me in ways I felt, you know, uh, just, I don't know what the right word is. I don't want to say violated because I feel like I give too much power to him. It's not mm. as if he could have done anything. There were too many watchful eyes. However, I did feel uncomfortable in that entire conversation, the way he was looking up and down and the questions he was asking. And after the interview, he asked for my phone number and it had never happened this way before. And I just remember being frozen, like who, who, what is happening? Like this really happens. and. Mm. Just two months after that interview, the whole Me Too movement happened in South Korea and he was virtually ousted from the industry. And I remember thinking, wow, I can't believe like this really happens in broad daylight with people watching. And it just, it kind of blew my mind and frightened me at the same time, what would happen, you know, had there not been watchful eyes, had I been a more vulnerable um, person in that scenario, what could potentially happen. So that that's actually one of the more shocking things, I, I think, in my like 10 years of uh, sitting down with these actors and interviewing, most were absolutely pleasant. And that one kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Mm, mm, yeah, that's um, very distressing, I think, to, to hear about, yeah. to try to, uh, not to detract from the, the seriousness or the yeah. severity of that. Um, but, you know, thank you for sharing that. To try to switch it, I sometimes hear interviews or, or see them with um, like Bong Joon-ho, Bong Joon-ho, the director of Parasite, and suddenly her name has escaped me, the, the star of Minari and in Pachinko. Yoon Yoo Jung, yeah, thank you. Um, when I hear some of them in, being interviewed, they're like swearing and talking about drinking. And it's just, you mentioned earlier, Lena, like the bigger they are, the more they have to lose, that the less they say, they just kind of cut off. And I see interviews with these two individuals specifically, and they just don't care. They just seem to be speaking normally. Have you ever encountered like candid people that let the mask drop or that let them just be themselves? Or is that... Is that a quality that you see in those two people? Have you seen it in other people? That's just something I've observed and I don't see it very often. But when I do see it, I make a note of going, wow, those two people are like people. <laughs> human, really. Human. Or, or they're being people for the camera, whereas a lot of people just keep that for home, I think. I think you know, Jung and Pung are unique though. 
in a sense that they've paid their dues and uh it's also about the the image that they've created in in their respective careers mm -hmm. some are allowed to be more candid and honest because that's who they are and they were never shy from showing that side of themselves very early on um in certain cases i think if you build up an image of for being you know pure and 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 all the time benevolent and and then it's hard for you to kind of digress away from that main character that you've created for yourself the public eye and so maybe that the distinction needs to be made it's unfair right some person from the get-go is allowed to say whatever she wants whatever he wants and because that's just been the way they were it's okay mm. and and we almost celebrate it it's funny because I've been tutoring this this one actress um, without name dropping for for many years and whenever we go to study English. She brings me all these late night talk show examples in Hollywood. And, you know, a lot of these celebrities are more candid and honest in their interviews. They're more outspoken about their personal beliefs and the troubles in their own lives. And, you know, that's lost in translation for her because she should be, she'd explicitly tell me that I could never say that in the public eye. Mm -hmm. And the way we approach these interviews are so entirely different. I told you about it being carefully choreographed. Maybe we're slowly drifting away from that. There's variations of interviews now, thanks to YouTube. And you know, people are allowed to curse a little bit more and be open. Um, but I do think there's an entire generation of Korean celebrities who are much more careful about what they say. I do think some people do get a free pass and Yoon is a rare one. <laughs> I, I'm all for the free passes, but yeah, exactly. I know what you mean, because if you watch, I mean, even you mentioned American late night talk shows, if I think of like Graham Norton in the UK or <laughs> what him. people are doing. Can you imagine that on like Korean television? I just can't yet. And I'm not sure whether it's because the program's not there, the celebrities are not willing to do it, just the society in general. But there's a huge difference, isn't there, between how celebrities present themselves. And, and yeah, wow. There is, I, I think, um, there were efforts even on terrestrial networks in Korea, which which are bound by much more stricter regulations and expectations. It reaches the general public, including you know viewers of all ages. So they're more mm. careful about how they brand their talk shows or reality shows. <laughs> Those are scripted, in case you're wondering. Um, but uh, my point being, they did make solid attempts with these late night talk show, Korean versions of it. There was the Go Show with Ko Hyun-jung there a long time ago. There there was also Kim Seung-woo. There was also, I can give you a whole list. I, I feel like, um, was it Lee Dong-wook who tried something like this on cable? And it's just, it's not inherently Korean, which mm. means I will try to mimic something that's well known overseas. And I don't think that's always a good thing. Um, it doesn't feel organic. It, it just doesn't match the language and the culture. So it, it didn't last long. And so maybe there is a healthy middle somewhere in between. And now with the surplus of uh, channels, um, I'm sure the competition is fierce, which would mean that they would need to get more creative with these mm. kind of really outdated way of interviews, like, you know, trying to make them look better and sound better. Like, it, kind of boring isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah i don't normally watch them because that's what they're, they're, they're boring you're not ever gonna get anything unexpected and yeah i guess there have been efforts to do it it's not on terrestrial tv but i think like jesse's had a youtube thing where oh, she yes. 
uh, does stuff like that as well. And you're just thinking, wow, this is, you know, interesting to hear this conversation and content in Korean. Um, but then again, perhaps that kind of that purity and that stardom that we're talking about, maybe purity is the wrong word, that does attract a lot of people. And a lot of people do like that for the values. And it's not as if it's not popular or it's not in demand, but you know, people do that. You can get overdosed on honesty and problems and, and people want that kind of idol thing, I guess, which is, yeah. you know, it works. Is there a difference between, so with all of these celebrities, you've done you've done pop stars and actors are there is there a difference between the pop stars and actors because they're different skill sets i guess right and well i i think so and so i'm just wondering do you oh well this is a singer or this is a pop star an idol star they're going to be like this this is an actor they come at it like that or does it just like they're all under the umbrella of celebrity it's a tough question but i do think there is maybe something to be said about uh, idol groups uh you know they're made and originally supposed to be catered towards i think a much younger audience uh that's what the primary aim of these boy bands and girl groups were even in hollywood i think that's pretty universal mm -hmm. of course bts reaches a much bigger audience than ever anticipated but i don't think that was the original aim of boy bands in general and with that, I do think there comes a more, even more elevated, unrealistic standard. Like mm. you're not supposed to get it. Of course, you're not supposed to get a DUI, but you're most definitely not supposed to get a DUI if you are supposed to be the stand-up citizen and an idol for these younger audiences. Absolutely not. You know, people have been uh, ousted from the industry for doing that. And then came the mother of all scandals, like the Burning Sun scandal, right? Which kind of broke this facade and 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 put, brought down some idol groups from these pedestals, right? Mm -hmm. um, this curtain had been lifted and everything that had been said in hushed reverend tones behind the scenes was being splashed across front pages. And so it was hard for us to avoid that. But ideally speaking, I do think, you know, boy bands and girl groups are, made to look perfect and always presentable and always likable. So my interviews with them was entirely different. Mm -hmm. I remember going, being invited to translate for one of these major events to promote an idol group and everything was scripted from beginning to end. There was nothing being said outside of script. So there was no real time interpretation required. All I had to do was read what I had translated the night before. And I remember thinking, right, this is still very much part of the idol group culture. I mean, is it good or bad? I don't know, but it's still around. Mm. And in the script, it will say laugh here and then wink and then do this to somebody. And it, it, it is very much like that, absolutely. Have you ever seen any of, I mean, you've been mentioning some of these idols, but it could be to any celebrities, Lena. Have you ever been working with someone, interviewed someone, translated at an event, and these people just seem like normal people, but then like a year later, they're like, bang, they're there. Have you ever seen somebody sort of rise like that and maybe you expected it, you didn't expect it? No, I don't think I have an eye for that because I don't think I was ever, I've never sat down with an actor or a singer and said, oh, you're probably going to be really big a few years from now. I had no idea. I was just there to converse with them face to face. But, you know, there were cases when they just, their career just really took off. Um, 
Taeji was one example. Nam Jiok was another example. I mean, they were already famous, but mm. you know, their careers took off to whole new levels. In some cases, was rocky. But anyhow, my point being, I I have no eye for that. I just I enjoy the conversation, but you know, there have been many cases, and it's not as if there is a single common thread as to why someone becomes more famous. There is this article. Actually, not just one, but many articles on trying to understand why it was BTS after all these years that broke through this really competitive North American music market. You know, yes, there was Psy. You know, there was EXO. You know, there are all these attempts beforehand. There was Wonder Girls. I mean, they toured with the Jonas Brothers, right? But what was so extraordinary about BTS that they they really broke through and. It could be a number of different things. It could be timing. It could be great marketing. There are so many different angles, but um, a lot of times I do think it does come down to luck, not to undermine their efforts. I know that's a really sensitive and touchy topic, but um, stars need to align. And mm. I don't think even well-trained industry experts can know exactly who will, you know, shoot straight to the top and when. Sure. In, yeah, in that sense, I don't think the West was ready for Wonder Girls or Big Bang or X. So it was it was timing more than anything. And then you've also got technology, you know, the yeah. platforms. But I think the attitudes in the West and, and social values to be receptive to non-white content or identity based and things like that. So I think it, you know, Korea has always been producing this stuff. They've always yeah. had like this K-pop on Flea. It's there, but it wasn't so much a huge increase in quality although the bar mm -hmm. has always been raised, but I think also external attitudes has been there. Are you, um, or have you ever been like a big K-pop fan? Is there like a group? Do you have a bias? Do you stan anyone? No. No, <laughs> okay. I was, okay. Actually, I think when I was much younger, like I said, SDS, mm. you know, I, I, I was much younger, so I was more receptive to that. And I, I do think at a certain age, it was less about the stars. It was more about the music. So it, it became less about, oh, this is my bias. It became more like, oh, that song's really good. And that song's really good. That movie's really good. That TV drama's really good. And it made my job actually much easier, David. I think if I were starstruck all 250 times, that would have been a god-awful set of interviews, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. So th this might be too personal a question. Some people get a bit weird about this. I've noticed in Korea. So what's on your playlist at the moment? What's on your on your Spotify or your Melon? Or... Some people just tell me they're like music. I'm like, what music? Music. Yeah. Not what I have. <laughs> I have size uh, recent release. Uh, I have celebrity. I have just the way you are. Vitamin string quartet version. <laughs> I have Little Things by One Direction, Come Out and Play by Billie Eilish. I'm not really giving any K-pop answers, am I? Oh, I have I Envy You by Taeyeon, Grey So Grey by Epic High, La Vie and Rose by Michael Bublé. I'm all over the place. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good list. That that seems like the list that I would expect from you. I say that as a compliment. Yeah, that, that, but that seems like in tune with your personality. Um, Who's left for you to interview, Lena? So you've talked about you haven't really been starstruck, starstruck and things like that. Like you can do the Thanos snap again and click your fingers and interview someone tomorrow. Who is it? Who do you want? 
It has to be in Korean entertainment role. <laughs> you, you can say whatever you want, though. There's no rules to the conversation. Um, that's a fantastic question. I think in in Korea, it would have to be a director. I do I do think I would want to sit down with someone who gets to control the narrative even more and pick their brain. I actually spotted Bong Joon-ho at a local cafe. You know, he does that a lot. He goes to write at cafes that he finds to have good coffee probably. And I've spotted him and he was surrounded by people that I, I, I was just too, I don't know what the right word is, but afraid to approach him and be like, hi, I'm a fan too. And, you know, bombarding with questions. So I didn't, but I, I should have, because when else will I see Pung Juno? I have no idea. Um, I think he's at the top of my list. I think he's, he's a trailblazer. He's a game changer. He's a fun interview. He's mm. very candid. And I, I find that to be really exciting. Yoon Yeo-jung would be absolutely intimidating. <laughs> from based on what I hear. Um, but I would love, love that chance as well. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Bong Joon-ho film? I know there's so many, but like, is there one that stands out? Honestly, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big like blockbuster person. I do like the movies that get, you know, the box office reviews and Parasite for me was such a big one. I love satirical movies and I don't think Korea's always strong suit has been in that. And Bong Joon-ho made black comedy, you know, within reach for I think Korean movies too. And a lot of the themes there seem to be relevant for not just Korean audiences. And I think there's something so beautiful about that that can be extended, you know, beyond borders and beyond that little, you know, subtitle. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think for me, it's still topic is Parasite. Uh, why didn't I name Park chan Park chan is one of my favorite uh, film directors ever in South Korea, kind of an obvious one too. Mm. Um, JSA, Agashi, The Handmaiden. I mean, these are all masterpieces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The old boy as well. Both of those two <gasps> gentlemen, actually, they seem to me like auteurs. So when I'm you know, they seem to have personal visions and they seem to create this really critically acclaimed work. You know, people love it so much, not just commercial success, because they do get as well commercial success. But it seems like, you know, if you speak to film buffs or like movie people around the world, that they love those two directors and it's, you know, they do fascinating stuff. I, in one of my Hallyu uh, lectures, I'm thinking of showing the students um, Kwemul or the, the host as the one bong I, I don't know why but i think you know just that one parasites a bit too much and maybe the host You're each their own <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yeah it's it's something that needs to be needs to be done um do we need to talk anything else about your interviews who have we missed is there anything else that we need to get out here we've you talked about the dreadfully uncomfortable ones with people being yeah. eventually arrested and and yeah. things like that um you want to do Bong Juno or Park Chanuk? Is there is there anything left we've got from your interview days, Lena? Oh boy, I the thing is, I, I hate name dropping, and I, I can't believe how much of it I did in this interview. But that is also a big part of my career. It turns mm -hmm. out, you know, without the people that I've interviewed, I'm not quite sure what my career amounts to. Uh, um, oh boy, oh man. You know, in a lot of times, I, I do find it unfortunate that these idol uh, group member turned actors or model turned actors, you know, they always seem to get the shorter end of the stick. People don't expect them to thrive. And, you know, they have a knack for surprising us. And, you know, I, my hope is that maybe we could be a little bit less judgmental when they make those transitions, because a lot of my 
favorite actors have these different varying backgrounds and different starts, including but not limited to Nam Ji Hyuk. I think he's an excellent actor and he had his start in, in modeling too, right? And so, I don't know, just a last note, you know, these, these perceptions and misconceptions, maybe we should question them too. <laughs> mm. And sometimes some people are just really good at everything. I, I think we've all met these people that, you know. Like they Beyonce? Might be, yeah, but they might be good at modeling and acting and singing. And there's all these things that they want to do. And sometimes you're right, we pigeonhole them or, or we expect them to do certain mm. things. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I think we're getting there. Um, we spoke, you said that your claim to fame is just interviewing these other people, but I, I'm going to turn the conversation to you for a little bit. We've already talked about your decision to move away from social media, <laughs> which, which is understandable. And you've explained some of your reasons for that. And that's, you know, we totally understandable. You've also working in the thing that you do, lots of messages come in and and things like that of course we're not talking like Yi Byung Unfame with the greatest respect to you Lena but there is still that like do, do you handle it okay do you do mm -hmm. you get on with that kind of level of attention because you are in the spotlight it might not be as bright as Bong Joon-ho's spotlight but it is there like how do you cope with that you're right with that level of attention do you want more no no, I don't want more. Uh, there's this one podcast that I absolutely love, Beyond Korea Deconstructing. Um, no Stupid Questions is the name of it. And it's it's hosted by Angela Duckworth, who is behind Grit, um, and uh, Stephen Dubner, who is behind Freakonomics. And uh, they, they usually come up with a really clever set of questions and they try to answer it. There is no right or wrong. They try to answer things like, can you separate art from the artist when the artist falls in the good grace of the public? Should that art also be canceled? Things like that. There is no simple answer, but they dive deep into it. In one of the episodes, they talk about fame and just how much fame is sufficient. It's just good enough. And the short end of that entire podcast was that nobody desires an unlimited amount of fame. I don't think anyone signs up for it. I think it, it comes with perks, obviously, but it also comes with, I think, all sorts of strings attached. And I'm very well aware of that. And the kind of expectations that certain celebrities are, again, expected to live up to. And I, I, I'm, I'm, again, I can't address this enough. I'm, I'm a lot more private than I thought I was, you know, getting started in this industry. And I'm, I appreciate the, the private parts of my life that's, you know, allowed to be kept hidden. So I don't look for more fame. And I'm so grateful for this, you know, the just the right amount where I'm able to kind of step away and nobody's offended by it. No agency is telling me, hey, you need to do more. I don't have any of those contracts. Um, I, I don't think there's a simple answer to that, um, but <laughs> no, I don't want more fame. <laughs> okay, okay. You, you, with the level that you've got, are there, this podcast sounds very interesting. I remember reading Freakonomics uh, a while ago. Um, no stupid questions. I've actually been told like a couple of times, I still have, I think, the, the Ma-sang, the Mami-sang job. Somebody said to me, David, that's a stupid question. Is it, don't do it. I'm fine with it. Uh, are I'm not. That's so offensive. <laughs> there are no stupid questions. Do you agree with that? Or are there some questions that, yeah, that's actually a little bit stupid? You know, <laughs> 
the hosts of No Stupid Questions also yeah. call each other on a stupid question. So I do think maybe, maybe from time to time there are uneducated, misguided questions. And I think personally, questions are stupid if they're absolutely offensive. If mm. if you know that they're malicious in nature and you ask them anyway, I think that's a stupid question. But in the most obvious sense of it, no, I don't think there's a stupid question. <laughs> I like that answer, thank you. And no, no, none of us here are trying to be offensive, so there's no yeah. stupidity, we're good. It sounds fascinating though. Um, in this, like speaking to lots of different people on this podcast, Lena, sometimes what I've noticed comes up quite a lot is this question of identity. And because I'm doing this podcast in English at the moment, like maybe one day I'll do it season two in Korean. Um, there's people that have mixed cultural backgrounds or they've lived abroad for some time. And, and, and so the conversation of identity does come up. And also then this question of Koreanness, um, nationality. In some messages with me, you described yourself as um, like a hybrid or you said you don't necessarily think like a Korean, but that's your advantage. That's how you get through in this. Do you have any observations on this idea of Korean identity, Koreanness in 2022 or how it plays out? I think Korea is still, despite its best efforts, a homogenous country, right? We're mostly Koreans. We look similar. We, you know, have similar exposures. We watch similar TV programs. And it, in some ways, that kind of camaraderie and that association, it makes societies thrive. And it's certainly an easy conversation starter. If you find someone to be more alike, then it's easier for you to strike up a conversation, right? Hmm. And find each other's stories relatable. And that's the wonderful part of a homogenous society, I suppose. But the flip side of that is, are we less um, open and 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 less inclined to invite different cultures and different backgrounds in. Absolutely. We're making slow progress, I think. I mean, thanks to you two, thanks to these expats and different people that bring different, you know, things to the table. And it, it helps a great deal that, you know, these expats now speak Korean, just like you, you and I. And, you know, we make a great deal of effort trying to connect these two different cultures and different exposures even. And takes a certain tone, maybe even a gentle one, to connect those bridges. I mean, can you imagine having an aggressive conversation with a Habanjo society? Like, you're wrong. That's helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not helpful, but maybe we're making the slow progress. Um, and this the whole hybrid identity, it took me many years to figure out, David. I think I always felt like an outlier and out of place. When I got my start in Korea, I told you I work for an educational broadcasting station. It's kind of like PBS in Korea. And they expect really fancy credentials for a lot of their hosts. And I didn't have that. I had dropped out of college at that point. Um, again, that was for personal reasons and nothing to do with me not liking school. I love school. In fact, I love learning. But it had more to do with my personal life. I wanted to spend time with my family members who were sick and they were in Korea. So it was an obvious decision for me at that time. I just happened to come across a career opportunity so I took it they were mean David who do you think you are teaching English in Korea your credentials are just so crappy <laughs> you don't live up to our expectations I literally at one point had to email an editor of Merriam-Webster dictionary to prove that I was right just because of my lacking credentials it was crazy and 
I remember at a young age being being slightly mamsang, like you know, kind kind of hurt by that. Mm. And then in retrospect, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I guess you'd want your teachers to have uh, better credentials or or more admirable traits. That's not such a bad thing, but it was tough. <laughs> and look at you now. <laughs> I mean, you, now you would have the credentials. Now people would be like, yeah, come on. But you've done it, and and then so so what comes next? You, you've said that you want to sit at this table, in the broadcasting industry. It's obvious. I think that you seem you come across as quite driven. You come across as quite motivated. You don't seem like somebody that wants to just um, go through the motions or rest in the laurels. I don't know. I might be getting that wrong, but that's my perception. And so sometimes we get this idea that you shouldn't say your goals because then they might not come true. You have to keep them. And I, I also get that. But what's what's next? What what is the what's the future looking like? Are there any goals? Are there any things that you want to check off the list and get done? Hmm. Yeah, I think my heart has always been in writing. I, I, I think any good broadcaster is a good writer, and it starts there. Um, in order for you to be a good speaker, you have to be a good writer, and you have to read a lot, you have to hear a lot, you have to learn a lot, and and for so for me, it is about personal growth. I would I would like to go on thinking I'm I'm slightly better than yesterday's version of myself. I would like to give myself more room to, as my shirt says, do more things that make you happy. And there wasn't a whole lot of that during the pandemic and pair that with what I was going through personally, it was tough. And I realized, yes, like working towards a bigger goal, career goals, these are great things. And that's a big part of my identity as a broadcaster and I'm a freelancer. So if I don't work hard, there is no job. So it makes it easy for me to you know, show up to work in every sense of that word. But on the flip side, I do realize just powering through is not always the right answer. Sometimes you need to give yourself a little bit of space to be like, hey, like, am I where I want to be? Am I proud of my achievements? And I think that's exactly where I'm at. at um, I want to give myself a little bit more breathing room. Um, I still show up to work at 4.30, but <laughs> you know, um, in the afternoons, you know, I, I, I would like to explore more of my personal passion projects. You know, I, I want to write more, I want to read more, I want to see more. I mean, it's, it is all, I, I think, tied to one theme about growth, mm. being a better person, um, being a more well-rounded person too. Is it a book, like book? poetry like a blog when you say write like is there something that you want to write yeah um i do think no poetry i don't think i'm that talented with words okay. i think that takes a, a, another level of exposure to literature and a certain kind of writing and i just don't have it i still don't get road not taken i just what <laughs> um definitely more opinion pieces uh, you know it, it is what we do maybe every morning and mm. you know i do think if i do just a right amount of research i do think i have important things to be said about you know korean society and and, and molding into society and you know observations i make as someone who gets to interview really cool people um Maybe, maybe in the near future. I do I do a lot of rough writing, but I'm a little bit afraid to put that out there. That's, mm. that's tough. Uh, it's ironic because broadcasting for some reason is just, I got it. <laughs> writing feels, 
it's so much more intimate for some reason. Wow. No, I know that. And we're always trying to make it perfect. My, because a lot of people like message me about writing because I have a high level of output in writing yeah. multiple pieces a week. And it, your first piece is never going to be as good as the sixth piece. And the sixth piece is never going to be as good as the 12th. Do you know what I mean? But to get to the sixth piece, you have to have done the first one and the second one and the third one. It, it just, it, it goes like that. But yeah. I mean, I can't skip that entire process and just put out like an excellent 30th piece as my first one. I, I can't do that. No, 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 it doesn't. Well, you're clever. You might find a way to do it. But I, I didn't find a way to do that. You said, this is a weird thing. You said, do what makes you happy. Like, I don't know, this just might be my messed up brain, but sometimes if I'm like in a bit of a, oh, I'll do what makes me unhappy or I'll do what I don't like. So I might like do a whole load of marking that I've got from the university. That's not fun. Or I'll go on a run like for 10K and that's not fun. But once I've done that thing that sucks, then I feel like, well, okay, now, now I feel good. So it's this really weird game I play with myself that when I'm a bit, uh, I'll do something I hate rather than treat myself. And then after that, wow, the beer tastes good. That's a really interesting. Wow. <laughs> a little bit mind blown, David. Do what I hate more. Mm. Maybe even cross off things that, you know, like, like cleaning up, reorganizing this, this bookshelf. I don't want to do that, David. Maybe <laughs> no, you don't have to, but I'll check if you're wearing a different shirt that next week that says, don't do what makes you happy. You put a big pen on there or something. <laughs> Just scribble right across my shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Why not? Um, Okay, Lena, um, we, I think we're just about wrapping this up. Is there is there anything we've missed? Like um, we've tried to cover celebrity. We've tried to cover 4.30s in the morning, women in the workplace, the clips on the back of weather girls' dresses, um, makeup wipes. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm learning. Um, is there anything else that we've missed, Lena, while we're here? Oh, no. no, David, I think we've covered all grounds. I can't believe how fun this podcast was do you know how nervous i was before we got started i i, I didn't realize i was so good at talking about me <laughs> that's why i like doing this because i listen i don't know how to talk about me um all right lena thank you for doing this i know that it's it, it's a weird thing but i really appreciate it and it's been great talking to you and listening to some things about you um so the last question oh like None of us asked to be on this world. And it's one that's sometimes marvelous, sometimes sad. It's full of excitement. It's full of fear. It's full of all these emotions. So what, Lena, is the purpose of it all? What can we do to give value to our lives, to the lives of other people? What is the meaning of life, Lena? Oh, man. No, I thought I would have an answer at this point. What is the meaning of life? I think it's just a personal journey. I, I know we like to make these grand, ambitious commitments. Um, and it always comes from a good place. Like, I want to make a small dent in the world. And these are all noble pursuits. But life is just made up of these, like, small moments of joy, small moments of success, even personal triumphs, really devastating moments as well. And... I think it's just a journey and each journey is so unique that you owe it to yourself to maybe see it through um, no matter how tough it may be honestly the past three years i 
it was the toughest chapter of my life. I lost four different people in my family and it has nothing to do with the pandemic, but it made it difficult to see them at the hospitals and visit them hospital, uh, hospitals or, you know, kind of off limits, even for family members and then, you know, funerals. And all of these were just, you know, fresh reminders, you know, me being still, I, I, I feel relatively young and like, I still have the rest of my life, you know, open for anything really. And it's ironic seeing the end of someone's life when you feel you're only getting started. And it makes you question things like, what is the purpose of life? It, it, it almost felt meaningless for a moment. Like, why work so hard? Why show up every day when at the end, it seems to amount to nothing? And it, it was a heartbreaking turning point for me. But the flip side of that is, because I believe you only live once, because I do believe the value of life in itself is that nothing lasts forever and that makes it all the more special, maybe I owe it to myself to see this through and take where my personal journey takes me. And it doesn't have to be anything grand. Mm -hmm. Have you seen um, the Disney Pixar movie, Soul? <laughs> no, no, I haven't, no. It, it it's about you know what happens in the afterlife or what happens before we, be, we become you know humans on this earth there are these little small little creatures that look like you know <laughs> animated versions of souls and that's a great deal that they're really adorable and they're just blobs and what happens is you know someone grand like mother Teresa would return to her soul form in the afterlife and you know all these questions are being asked about was your life worth more and it seems to be no it, it, just because you did more doesn't mean your life amounts to more and that's kind of the question I think fundamentally what soul tries to ask and my 20s has really been about you know work towards something and I loved it. it it's what made me feel alive but also in my 30s I, I do want to I don't know maybe not put the same amount of pressure on myself still show up to work but you know see what else is out there and give myself breathing room things like that and if if in the end even if I don't have a seat at that table maybe I'll be okay with it mm. Because it will be a personal journey, and if you've walked your personal journey, so I, I, that's that's a, a question I want to ask you. You said it's this personal journey, and it's unique. Is the destination already there, and one that you have to achieve, or are you creating it as you walk each day? Is there destiny? Um, a part of me says yes. I mean, there is beauty in believing in destiny. I think. I, I think. When you, you know, kind of like when something feels serendipitous and, you know, we add meaning to certain outcomes in our lives, like it, it, it makes it more beautiful, right? And it's poetic almost. But <laughs> I don't know, David, I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> Me too. That's why I'm asking these not stupid questions you know right <laughs> exactly how can you have a podcast where you ask people the meaning of life it's ridiculous but that's what i'm doing lena that's what i'm doing and it, it, it's been fantastic talking to you thank you for being real and thank you so much for having me david this was great fun maybe we'll do it again and it'll be a six hour conversation <laughs> with five sneezes that's not a lot wonderful you're not going to edit that out are you <laughs> I might put like a courtesy thing up over your face while you do it. I don't know. Yeah, let's see. Let's see. All right, Lena, let's stop it there. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much, David. <laughs>
Destruction.